Archbishop Lucas, thanks for joining us again for the podcast. We're following up on the conversation we had last time about facing the ugliness in the church and uh, dealing with the failure of the institutional church in regard to protecting minors, protecting the vulnerable, uh, the failures in chastity, and in many cases in governance. One of the needs that has come up again and again that we've heard from uh, people in the in the pews and elsewhere around the church and from her pastors, we're talking about the experience of healing, the need for healing. So I thought today we'd maybe dive into a little bit more and, and following your lead, fleshing out what is that experience of healing and how is this fundamental to the Christian experience? We certainly feel the need for healing right now and, and for reconciliation. And our, I hear our people expressing that in, in various ways. The ugliness of the past abuse of minors and then, then the abuse of power that it weighs on all of us in the church. We know not everyone was, was involved directly in, in committing those sins, but uh, this has come back so that we have to reckon with it in ways that we haven't uh, so far. So we're trying to do that, and we've spoken about that, uh, about that before. But at the same time, that's not where we stay. We know that we have a church because Jesus wants to be present to us now in our circumstances. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, he is. So it's not just a plan to do it, but, but we, we do encounter him. And he comes uh, on a mission from, from his heavenly Father uh, to uh, provide healing and, and reconciliation in, in a broken world. It's just the time when we should be looking for him and asking how we might come closer to him, how we might invite him into the, the place where, the, where individual people and the church herself are, are hurting and, and feeling the burden, feeling the, uh, the brokenness. Uh, I've really been um, heartened uh, to, to see and hear from individual people, but also um, in uh, parish communities where there has uh, been the, the conviction that we need to turn to prayer, we need to turn to the Lord and invite him uh, to heal and reconcile um, us. So the healing that needs to take place in the church as a whole or in a parish community is one thing. It's real and it's, it's available, I think, if we're open to it. There's some people or some families who've been hurt directly by the sin of abuse, and so the kind of healing that is um, is really needed there and, and desired is is of a different quality. Perhaps we we know that in the church it's the Lord who ultimately um, provides it, but the hurt is much more profound. The healing needed is, if I'm following you, uh, healing of trust in many cases. Uh, if, if you're talking about the relationship with the individual and the church, in addition to the wound of the, the direct violation of somebody's dignity, it seems that that's the second sort of part of that, that, mm-hmm. that, prob- that difficulty is, is the wound of trust. Where do I go with, with my pain? So I think what helps the trust and what helps healing the breach of trust is uh, in some cases to get answers. So you know there are some uh, lingering questions about um, how the abuse happened or how people were able to turn away or how it got covered up, whatever the, the questions that, have, that people may have. So trust can be restored and healing uh, can begin uh, to the extent that, that we understand what happened and how it happened. It's not pretty to look at necessarily, but we use the example of Archbishop McCarrick. The, there's a question, still an open question, how did somebody carry on um, a life that was marked by uh, great misconduct over several decades and in, during that period be appointed bishop of three separate dioceses? I, I think that's a question that a lot of us would like to have answered. That doesn't mean that Jesus can't begin to offer us the grace of healing and reconciliation while 
we still don't have the answer, but having the answer really would help it can kind of settle us down. And I mean that, you know, very respectfully. Another thing I, th I think that uh, sort of begins to provide a context for healing, especially for those who've been directly victimized by the crime of, uh, of abuse, is for us in the church to, to be able to be confident and to demonstrate uh, that the circumstances that might have allowed the abuse to happen, and we don't take the blame off of the person that was the perpetrator, but, but there were circumstances that were more hospitable to it, you might say, uh, that, that those circumstances have changed. And that in our parishes, in our schools, in our, our programs, we're in a much different place than we were 25 or 30 years ago in, in terms of providing safe environments for children and for young people. So I've heard from those who have been the victims of abuse that it makes a difference to them to, to not be left with the thought, well, then maybe this is still going on, that either that same perpetrator is harming other people or that just in general children might be, be in danger. So we've gone to great efforts uh, to see that we have established safe environments in, in our program. So again, it doesn't, that doesn't erase the hurt from the past and doesn't negate it at all. But in terms of how we provide the space where we can invite the Lord to come in and, and we can encounter him and, and be receptive, we might say, to the mercy that he wants to apply to us in our, in our woundedness and in our hurt, I think those things do, do, do make a difference. So we can't necessarily have all that at once. We, we hope that, that some of the answers, some of the accounting that needs to happen can, can continue to happen. Uh, in the meantime, though, as I said, I've witnessed uh, uh, both individual people but also uh, groups of people, parishes, um, uh, taking the initiative uh, to approach the Lord in prayer and to beg for his mercy, uh, for his forgiveness for past sins, for his, his healing, and for reconciliation within the church with, uh, within our own uh, within our own hearts. I was at St. Francis Borgia Parish in Blair not long ago on a Thursday evening. I had mentioned in, the, in our previous podcast that I was going to dedicate Thursdays to particular prayer myself and also to fasting, to uh, beg the Lord's mercy and to beg for, for reconciliation. And so they were, had scheduled a, an hour of, of prayer in, in the evening to do just that and invited me to participate. I was glad to, to do it. It meant a lot to me, to my own sense of the, the power of the Lord's mercy to, to be there. And I was happy to see that, that the parish was taking that initiative. I've heard of similar things in, in other parishes around, uh, around the archdiocese. I mentioned, as I said in the, my previous podcast, that I uh, want to take on myself a, a practice of mortification for this time that, uh, that we're in, to fast on Thursdays, but then also to dedicate an hour of prayer for, for reconciliation. And I've invited other people to think about how they might do something similar. Um, I ran into a man just today who um, said, I'm, doing, I'm joining you on Thursdays. So he's not with me physically, but he's joining me in, in prayer and, and in fasting that day. I think there, there are others, again, who are doing um, something similar as they can. Uh, but the invitation really is there now, and I think the Lord is inviting us to, to come to him, to come in humility, uh, to um, be open, uh, to allow his power to work where our own either because of our sinfulness or our weakness, our blindness, whatever it might be, our own efforts have, have failed and, and uh, in some ways gotten us in, uh, in the church to a, a place where we do feel angry and, and, and broken and hurt. I've been, I've been seeing a few more people than I would have previously uh, touching on this theme of our poverty. Existential poverty, it's not just a, a like material poverty in the Christian life. It's not simply a material status. The interview with... Uh, than Father Ratzinger from 50 years ago. So there's a radio interview that 
this gets passed around a lot uh, of late on uh, social media and the like, but I'm saying in the future, they asked him, Father Ratzinger, what do you think the church is going to look like in the year 2000? And he talks about the, the church being smaller. And I think he, that's in kind of quotes that it wasn't simply numerically, although that may, you know, we, we can see a lot of trend lines in that way, but a poorer in that we have to go, we have to rediscover that, that power, like just what you, you pointed to, to make the space for him and that our dependence is on him and not on having the perfect system or the perfect thing built up, right? We have the, the shiny castle and, and nothing can get in or, uh, you know, we're, we're impervious and we have no, no more need. Um, that's exactly the way that leads to, seems to lead to our destruction. But right. anyway. Yeah, we, we like to brag about the things that we're part of we're, that, and that we're proud of. So we like to brag about the church and brag about, its, uh, brag about her good works and how we might be growing in, in, in various ways. To, to be brought low, to be brought up short, and, and to realize, uh, certainly in my own uh, position as a diocesan pastor, but we all feel it in the church in various ways, that, that at, at the moment uh, there are some parts of, of uh, our history and, and our present experience perhaps in some places that, that we can't brag about it, that we, that we can't really be proud of, that we must repent uh, for. Um, so that's, that's more difficult than, than just rejoicing and uh, in what's good. But as I've said before, we have to look at that truth about ourselves too. Um, but um, not in a hopeless way. It's not a, it's not a spiritual dead end for us. It, it is the, the occasion then to call on the Lord, who is, who is our Savior, who, who is our strength, um, uh, our forgiveness. And it's, it's an important position to be in always. Uh, sometimes we're brought low, and in a sense we're forced to our knees, or we're forced to, to be humble or to, to, um, to repent. But that's not to our detriment. It really opens up uh, for us the opportunity to, to entrust ourselves to the Lord and to beg Him to to come with His power, um, whether it's whether that power is manifest in mercy or or, or whether it's uh, manifest in cleansing, uh, in some kind of renewal, whatever it might be. We know He has something good in mind for the church, and that He at this moment wants something grace-filled to be our experience if we give ourselves to it. You were telling me earlier about an experience of, of this of this kind that happened very recently, or there's a sign of a of a renewal, of a change, of a of a repentance in the relationship between a couple of our parish communities that are that are here in North Omaha, and that there's a sign of something that that has really happened that is the fruit of prayer and of the encounter with Christ. So you, you were going to tell me about uh, Sacred Heart, right? I, I was at, uh, invited to Sacred Heart Parish, in North Omaha, and uh, they had scheduled a um, a, a time of prayer to ask for reconciliation and healing uh, for, for the sin of racism that had been part of the history of that parish. As some of the archdiocese will know, uh, during this year we're celebrating the 100th anniversary of the founding of St. Benedict the Moor Parish, and it, it has a rich history and, and a vibrant uh, presence in, in, in the archdiocese uh, to this day. But it was established as a parish for African Americans, and established in large part because people of that race were not made to feel welcome in other parishes. And Sacred Heart Parish, the, the current parishioners, the, the pastor recognized this about themselves, that this was part of their history. 
we were glad to celebrate with the the uh, members of St. Benedict the Moor and, and happy for the proud history of, of, of that parish, but we realized that its origins were in in a, a racist attitude that, that made it impossible really for them to be welcome at the parishes in the neighborhood, the neighborhoods where, where, where they were living. So there were members from both parishes that uh, participated in, in this uh, service, both choirs uh, participated. I was invited to, to be there and it, it was really beautiful. I, when I heard the plans for it, I, I was really struck by, by the, the beauty of that idea and, and in the reality was, was even more, more moving. So the uh, current parishioners made a point of, of um, admitting to the sin of racism in the history of, of their parish community. That was many years ago, but it was important that it be named and then, the, then that the Lord be invited into that hurtful place. It, it, was, it was a hurt to the people that experienced the discrimination and the racism, but it somehow was a wound to the parish and the parishioners that had, uh, had committed it. So they um, wanted to take lay claim to it, you might say, Again, not in a, in a hopeless way at all, but, but as a, an opportunity to see that where there had been something wrong, where there had been an injustice, that the justice of God could be implored, and that through the power of Jesus' own saving sacrifice, that justice could be restored, or, or could, it could begin. Mm. I think everyone that was part of that prayer that evening um, understands that you, we can't just come together for an hour to pray and then everything is is all fine. Right. Uh, but we can't begin the, the, the process of reconciliation, whether it's the sin of racism, whether it's the abuse of minors, any terrible uh, sin in our, in our community, we, we can't begin to hope for healing and, and reconciliation if we continue to deny that there was ever a problem. Do you see that mercy at work, or, or the opportunity at least, as an opportunity of, of prayer and renewal, even in the midst of having to go back through our, our history once again here in Nebraska as the Attorney General has asked for these files from all three dioceses. Do you see this as, as part of that same drama? Right, I do see that this is a moment of grace. And, you know, the point is not to beat ourselves up for, for things from, from the past. And it would, could be easy enough for any of us to say, well, I didn't do that. I didn't commit that sin deliberately myself. We hope most of us could say that, whether it's about abuse or, or, or racism. But um, the fact is that the hurt from, from that sin remains. And so it's a hurt in the lives of, of individual people. Uh, who, who continue to be burdened by what, what was inflicted upon them. It's a hurt in their families. And so it's a hurt in our community. And there, there was an injustice that uh, we can't just say, well, that was a long time ago, so it doesn't matter. So we look back and try to lay claim to, to the truth about ourselves. We're created by God. We're redeemed by Jesus. There's so, so much about our, ourselves and our condition that uh, gives us joy and, uh, and, and peace. But uh, there's also sin, and some of it is, um, are, are the sins that we individually have committed. But there's also sin that's gotten into the community because of either the individual decisions um, to, to cause harm or a kind of a corporate either cooperation or ignoring of something. Now, with the, you mentioned the, the attorney general's investigation here in Nebraska, the three bishops and three dioceses are going to cooperate with him, I think it's a kind of a reckoning. Mm. Not to just keep plowing over old ground or, or beating ourselves up for things that happened in the past, but it's it's an acknowledgement that um, people have been hurt, that that hurt endures, even with the desire of, 
of people who have been victimized to, to, to grow in, in wholeness and, and in reconciliation and, and in healing themselves. But their hurt is there and there's been a, a serious injustice with, within the community of, of believers and it, it has affected the, the larger community in, uh, in which we live. So I hope this will be an opportunity for us to, to uh, be honest about what has gone on in the past, M much as the, the people at Sacred Heart Parish were doing, you know, and I was there recently about the, about the sin of racism. So that then in the community we can, um, with the lights on and, and, and with a respectful conversation about these things can be more open uh, to the healing and the grace that, that our Lord wants to, wants to give. I hope it will be a step in a good direction. And it's not the same thing as saying we just need to get over it, but, right. but we, we need to be healed, and which is kind of the point of this conversation. You know, right. we're, yeah. we're, um, we're looking to, to recognize where is the wound so that the, the, the medicine of the Lord's mercy and his grace can, can be applied there and we can willingly receive it. So thanks be to God, in a sense, that we're... As I said about when we heard from the Attorney General about his, his uh, desire to, to look at the uh, records that apply to, uh, to this issue, I, I said it's a moment of grace, and, and the truth is good for everybody. Not that the truth just heals everything automatically, but it can be the, the opening for a, maybe a, an extended time of, of reconciliation and of, and of uh, growth in, in the grace that, that we need to, to be a, a more just church and a more just society. Well, I'll definitely add that to my prayers on Thursday and these Thursdays coming up. Right, I renew that invitation to the people in our archdiocese to to uh, pray again. So many, so many, many people are not personally responsible for it for the abuse of a minor. Thanks be to God. But th this is a hurt in our church and in our community, and we do feel it. All of us can be agents of reconciliation. Then, really, all of us at some point uh, on our knees, more begging the mercy of the Lord, and confident that it will be given and we'll experience a new moment of of grace, even in a difficult period. Yeah, and as a layman, I'll say, yes, it's our church. So if I want to own the saints, I should own the sinners. It's all part of the same the same family. Uh, so I, um, I thank you for that, because I, I, I know that I've faced that temptation, and I've talked to a number of people facing the same temptation to say, we'll just kind of compartmentalize these things, and I don't want to, I don't want to look over there, or, or I'll just condemn the sin, sin and it's somebody else's. Uh, but to, to, to be with Christ and his people, I have to listen to what you just, what you just offered us. <laughs> so thank you once again for shepherding us, for offering this witness and, and this opportunity to draw closer to, to Christ and to, to keep us focused on where light, where truth can actually be found without ignoring the darkness, but, but also without dwelling on it. So thank you. Thanks. It's, it's great to be able to speak with you about this. Thank you for listening to The Shepherd's Voice, a podcast of the Archdiocese of Omaha. For more information, visit archomaha.org slash podcast.